finding new ways to reach voters that have always been left out, I think was probably one of the bright spots of being on lockdown for so long. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have more to do. Joining us today is the force behind the Mother She Wrote and the Daily Beans podcast, Dr. Allison Gill. AG is a veteran and a former employee at the Department of Veterans Affairs. We talk about what it was like launching her podcast under the shadow of the Trump administration. Plus, we'll get her thoughts on Afghanistan and what it means to veterans like herself. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How We Win. Win. So excited to have AG on the show. Um, She's so smart and insightful. Of course, she Mm -hmm. is uh, one of the voices um, and the creator of Militia Wrote and the Daily Beans podcast. So she's on top of everything every single day. Oh, yeah. And also, not for nothing, uh, started the MSW Podcast Network, of which this show is a part of and very happy to be a part of. She's a podcast mogul um, and also, like you were saying, a, a veteran and it has such a fascinating story about how she launched her her very first podcast. So we want to hear all about that. And then also just the perfect person to to talk about what's going on in the world right now. Yeah. And um uh, top of mind for everyone is just the uh, horrible and insane situation in Afghanistan right now uh, with the Taliban completely taking over uh, the country in such a short time. I mean, a lot of people saw that coming, but I, I, I don't know if there was an expectation that would happen so fast. There's certainly some people who did. I'm by no, by no means an expert on the Middle East or foreign policy. I, um, I don't know where those experts are because no one has seemed to um, crack that situation in a uh, hundred years. But um, my heart goes out to veterans right now who are watching this unfold after a 20-year war and, and um, to see it crumble so quickly, it's it's really, really hard to watch and really scary for, for all of the people who are, who are still there and need to be rescued. Um, and, and the people who are going to spend the rest of their lives there, um, yeah. there you know, who, there, there will be no rescue. Um, you know, Afghanistan has been on, as we, as we do the show every week and we, before the show, we, we, decide what we're going to talk about. It's always been on my list, but kind of at the bottom. And I figured, oh, like by the end of August, we'll have to talk about Afghanistan because of the troop withdrawal. No idea that it would go this way so quickly. Um, We often, you know, kind of analyze things and, and give our opinions and I, I'm not qualified to do that right. for this. Uh, and I, like you said, it feels like really nobody is. And a, and a lot of people were caught off guard. And I think it's certainly worth having a conversation about that as as this situation continues to unfold. And and we take a look at uh, how this was handled and, and what the response was and 
um, it's, I have to, it's been a mess and uh, it's, it's hard to watch. I, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Um, I did listen to Biden's comments yesterday about it, uh, his mm-hmm. press conference about it, and, and uh, left there uh, just overwhelmingly sad th- uh, for uh, just at what humanity is capable of in general um, and uh, the pointless nature of war in general, too, um, uh, and the huge cost of all of this. And, uh, you know, so... He, you know, we, we led off by both saying uh, we are unqualified to talk about this. So yeah. uh, so don't listen to us. But here's what we think, <laughs> you know, so. Well, like I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm I don't I'm not qualified to talk about military strategy or to opine on whether this was ultimately inevitable or, you know, what our expectations should have been over the last 20 years. But we can you know, ask people to be accountable for for their actions and and um, how this withdrawal went and how yeah badly the intelligence seemed to have been inter- interpreted right um, and that's solely based on you know what we as a people as a public were being told over the last uh, couple of months. So we we can yeah. we we can be critical of, of that. I think. Of course. Well, I I can, I'll say I'll say this. Uh, Biden inherited a really terrible situation, made mm-hmm. uh, worse by the Trump administration, and we're learning more about uh, their classified negotiations that they made with the Taliban that was was not made public, that they kept classified, those conversations. Um, so it, it's a quagmire. It's an awful situation. And um, I don't think Biden handled it well, but he was also handed a really, really terrible hand to play. So it's so heartbreaking. And we like to say that we're not the news. We're what you can do about it. and um, And this is clearly a place where I don't know what we can do uh, about it except for be strong voices, support organizations uh, that are are supporting women, uh, mm-hmm. women and girls in Afghanistan. You're right. There's a lot of uh, women's organizations in particular that still have staff in, in that country and they're trying to get people out and, and people can search for it and find them. I, you know, I wanted to talk about this in conjunction with with Haiti. What's going on in Haiti? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's on my li- on my list as well, uh, because you know there's that Haiti's been through a lot in the last month. Oh my god! Um, an assassination and earthquake, and now a, a, a massive tropical storm that that's flooding parts of of the island, and. There are these moments where you know, over the over the last couple of days where I was seeing what was going on in both countries and, you know, seeing like, parts of the world on fire and you just feel so much despair and yeah. so small and like, what can I do in this like, you know, sea of misery and, and hopelessness? But you're right. This podcast is about what you can do. And there are things you can do. You can find organizations, uh, reputable organizations. And that, that's been a big thing with Haiti is they've been through so much in the last, you know, couple of decades and a lot of, of money has been sent there and, and misappropriated. So there are a lot of vetted organizations that are doing good work there that you can find. Um, but, you know, I've been thinking a lot in the last 24 hours about, you know, just small acts that we can take. 
And one thing I woke up to that was so interesting, um, I rarely look on Nextdoor, but the, the website Nextdoor, sure. and I'm sure everybody knows why. <laughs> um, but I, I got an email alert and I went on Nextdoor this morning and one of my neighbors had just written like the most lovely note to everybody in the community, um, you know, saying if you have, if your heart is in Afghanistan, if you served in Afghanistan, if you have family there, I'm thinking about you today and mm. let me know if there's anything I can do. And man, did this thread blow up with people saying like, there's, you know, in Austin, there's one Afghan restaurant, like, here's where it is. You can go talk to them. You can go help them. And another person said, um, my organization is preparing for the refugees that will be here when they're allowed in. And mm -hmm. here's what you can do to help. And so just on my to -do, personal to-do list today is to tell somebody that I'm thinking about them and I'm there for them and opening that door to find out what they need. So. That couldn't be lovelier. I, that's fantastic. And the best possible use of next door also. <laughs> <laughs> it should be the only. It almost counteracts the, you know, dangerous looking person walking down the street, you know, posts that. I know. Well, try, try not to be scared today. Try to be lovely instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Having having said all that, Mariah, uh, and I really appreciate your your perspective on that. It's a perfect segue, in fact, into your hero of the week. Yeah, my hero of the week is the Afghan Girls Robotics Team. Um, I actually think we've talked about them on the podcast before um, because they were making the rounds for a while. It was kind of extraordinary that um, they were they. <laughs> girls in Afghanistan who went to school, uh, got trained in robotics and traveled the world competing in robot robotics competitions and were really like lauded around the world. Their their faces were painted on, on the, the gates of the U.S. Embassy in, in Kabul. That unfortunately does put a target on them now, mm -hmm. uh, potentially. Um, so there are reports that some of them have gone into hiding. Some of them are at the airport in Kabul trying to get out. So we talked about this during the Olympics when you lift people up as, as heroes. Um, you also have to be there for them when times get tough. So thinking about them today and hoping that our government is doing everything they can to get them out. Yes. And um, there was a press conference as we recorded this um, talking about the acceleration in troops and um, mm -hmm. uh, they are, are ramping up their ability to get people out and um, have the airport in Kabul pretty well secured right now. So, you know, hopefully that continues to be the case and we're, and we're able to get more people out, including uh, those amazing girls. So. Thank you for highlighting them today as our hero of the week. All right. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope that gave people some hope, but just in case it didn't, you have a really great reason for hope this week. Well, we have a great reason for hope, right? I'm glo I'm glomming onto it. I'm <laughs> too emotionally wrecked to come up with my own. <laughs> uh, full disclosure: this was a tough week to pull out a good reason for hope. Um, it wasn't easy for me either because, yeah, 
But it's really important that this story doesn't get lost in the rest of the news right now because this is huge. It's huge. The Biden administration has approved a significant and permanent increase in the level of levels of food stamp assistance available to needy families. The largest single increase in the program's history. Starting in October, average benefits for food stamps, officially, of course, known as the SNAP program, will rise more than 25% above pre-pandemic levels. The increased assistance will be available indefinitely to all 42 million SNAP beneficiaries. So this is huge. And what gives me hope about this uh, is a couple of things, a couple of takeaways. One, this is why we elect Democrats. I mean, there was um, work on this being done in the previous administration, and the previous administration not only uh, stifled Mm -hmm. any kind of increase, they wanted to cancel uh, food stamps, and they wanted to shut down the uh, research being done on what levels would would be helpful. They didn't want to feed people, basically. The Republicans just don't want to feed people. And Democrats want to take care of our most vulnerable populations. So that's what they're doing. Um, Elections have consequences. And um, so that's really exciting. Also, this was not done in a vacuum. It wasn't just a decision that um, Biden came up with. This was done, of course, with some very loud and active and vigilant, tireless activists who were advocating for Mm -hmm. um, for our most vulnerable communities and and that this uh, SNAP program be extended and made permanent and um, and all that. So hats off to all of the volunteers and activists who led the charge on this. And mm-hmm. uh, and this is a this is really significant and uh, going to help a lot of families. Oh, my gosh, this is so important. And you're you're, you're right to focus on children. Um, these benefits feed a lot of children, a lot of um, seniors and people on disability. Um, the increase is is $36 um, a month per person. And so it's going to make a big difference. But I think it's it's important to note, given the rising cost of food, that it's making a, a big difference in that it's keeping people fed. But right. it's it's still it's still going to be tough for a lot of people. Um to continue to feed their families, even with this increase. Yeah, of course, as with just about everything we do, it's not, there's no like, hey, we did it, we fixed it, everyone's got food now, you know? I mean, we Mm -hmm. have a lot more work to do. We talked about the 20-year war in Afghanistan and, um, and, you know, the our military all over the, all over the world and, and what we spend, um, you know, we could invest more, you know, feeding our children. Absolutely. Um, so all of that is happening thanks to this majority in our government, Democrats taking the majority in the government, as you pointed out. And so, yay, success, mm-hmm. but our, our work is definitely not over. No. Well, that was a segue. I almost missed it, but it was a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great a segue, subtle segue into this week's to-do list. Less than three months to Virginia. Yes, it's Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. Um, 
you we see what it's what we can do with the trifecta you know um there we we didn't talk about it in our opening segment we were going to but we're going to talk next week a lot about the census results and the redistricting implications of the census um Mm -hmm. there is a tightening race for control of the house and the senate and it's kind of scurry it's a little scary (laughs) Uh, we, we definitely have work to do. But uh, this Virginia election has always been a bellwether for what's going to happen in the right. midterms. Um, and it, it's especially a good indicator of of where our activist base is, where our uh, voter enthusiasm is, who's going to turn out more voters, who's more active in this. So you know what you have to do. You have to make sure that, um, that we show – the Republicans, how activated we are, how engaged we still are. And uh, and it's just crucial that we hold on to that trifecta in Virginia. So we've got a new and improved Virginia page at swingleft.org, which I will link to on our podcast page also, swingleft.org slash podcast. And uh, you have there uh, the option of making phone calls. We did our first uh, in-person Canvas event. There's Going to be some more of that. We're definitely uh, monitoring, you know, where uh, where the mm-hmm. Delta variant is creating restrictions there. But um, and then we have letters with Vote Forward. We have a big push right now to write more letters. There's some exciting uh, developments with Vote Forward that we're going to talk about soon on the podcast. But that's a really great way for you to safely make an impact from home. So. Lots of options. Go volunteer this week. Make some phone calls or write some letters for Virginia. Um, the other thing we had to talk about, is, and and we and when we talk about bellwethers, this is mm. even though it's California, which we generally consider a safe blue state, this is a bellwether race too. I'm going to say yeah. is um, the recall effort, the effort to recall uh, Governor Gavin Newsom. Definitely, um, mail in ballots are out. Voting has started. It's really hard to um, mobilize around a recall because people aren't, if they're not keyed in, they're not expecting it. So we have a lot of voter contact to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's all voter education. You know, um, people are there. There's tons of Democratic voters who are literally getting a ballot in the mail and don't like don't even know what it is. Like, what is right. this? What am I? You know, they may not even open it. You know, they might just think it's some official mail. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, and we <laughs> we need them to open that and we need them to vote no on question one. The the recent polls have not been great. It's really showing a dead heat right now. And this has huge implications for our country, California, for the world, really. California is the fifth largest economy in the world right now. Unfathomable that uh, that a majority of motivated Republicans in a state where Republicans are the third party Right. Democrats, number one, independents, number two, and then Republicans uh, would be able to uh, take over the governor chair in this recall election. We've got to make sure that doesn't happen. So uh, we will also post a link for ways that you can get involved and make phone calls and uh, educate voters about this right now. Yeah, this is all part of the the Republican strategy of just going against the wishes of voters and trying to win things on on technicalities. Um, So if you're outside the state of California, you can still play a role in this. It still is part of our expanding efforts to, um, to protect our democracy and the will of voters everywhere. 
Well said. And then our last to do is... A lot to do this week. I know. There's so much, you guys. But this one's easy. You can just tell three friends about this very podcast that you're listening to right now. Get them to listen in uh, and leave it to us to convince them to do something. There we go. Give them to us so we can cajole them into doing some work to save our democracy. That's the plan. Welcome, friends. <laughs> Write a letter. <laughs> right. Well, uh, hmm. speaking of cajoling, I don't know that she cajoles. Uh, she informs. And once you have the information, you want to do everything that you can. Ah, a well-rescued segue. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear from the podcast impresario herself, Dr. Allison Gill. Dr. Allison Gill, also known as AG, is the host and creator of the popular podcasts Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. She is a Navy veteran and a former high-ranking employee at the Department of Veterans Affairs, where she worked on health care for the military and veterans. She has recently launched MSW Media and is a trusted and passionate progressive voice. Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to be on How We Win. I'm really excited to be here. I love this show. Thank you so much for having me. You are nice to say that. Well, as uh, a listener of the show, you know that we like to hear a little bit of origin story before we dive right in. And um, you grew up in a military family. Um, when did you first get involved in politics? What, what was your first like volunteer experience like? Well, I actually started at a super young age. My mom was county clerk and recorder in Stowe, Ohio, and she would drag me to the polls every time any, there was ever an election. She always told me how important it was to vote in local elections and in state and municipal and federal elections. And that this is back when the voting booths were like made of wood and had cloth curtains. And <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's when it started. But... You know, I first became really active in politics in college right around 1990, 1991 on the Bill Clinton campaign when I was a freshman in college. Mm. What did you do on the campaign? Uh, we just set up tables and booths in the student union um, in, in 92 and, and tried to get as many people to register to vote. So it was a, a really a get out the vote kind of scenario. Fortunately, um, you know, I went to Northern Arizona University, very liberal school, liberal arts school, and everybody was really into it. So there wasn't a lot of hard talking. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. I mean, and laying that groundwork in Arizona has paid dividends down the line. So, in, you know, I mean, tactics may have changed. Coronavirus certainly changed how we reach out to voters. But at the crux of it, it's getting people registered and getting them to the polls. And But I want to talk about your podcasts. Uh, I should say plural, but um, a lot of people launch podcasts. You've had, shall we say, a very unique experience launching your podcast while you were working at Veterans Affairs. It also strikes me as just incredibly brave to launch a progressive podcast under the watchful eye of the Trump administration. What was that like? Can you talk about the evolution of your show? Yeah, it started, I mean, I got the idea when I was watching, I think it was like October of 2017. Uh, Trump had been in office about, you know, nine, nine and a half, ten months. Bob Mueller had been appointed like five months earlier. 
uh, as a special counsel to investigate the Trump Russia and obstruction of justice. And I was watching a MSNBC and they had a documentary on that they the, from an, it's an old documentary uh, about Watergate called All the President's Men Revisited. And it was all the talking heads, Lawrence O'Donnell, Rachel Maddow, all those, you know, all those folks. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember watching it and, and the historical impact of the Mueller investigation sort of sank in. I think they were showing the, uh, you know, the documentary on Watergate to kind of say, hey, this is this is a very important thing that happened back then. And now there's a very important thing happening now. And I thought, you know, I bet in 20 or 30 years, they're going to be doing documentaries on the Mueller investigation. I'm like, I want to get in on that. But I don't, I didn't go to Columbia. You know, I don't, I'm not a journalist. Uh, I was a comedian at the time. And I was working for the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I was like, but this, I want to, you know, sort of document this, the news of this investigation as it happened. And about a week later, the you know, the first indictments dropped in the Mueller investigation. And so I, I immediately recorded the first episode. And we, I think what happened is, you know, we were the first and only podcast that was uh, exclusively covering the Mueller investigation. So we, we kind of wow. cornered the market there and just, it blew up from there. Wow. Well, Let's talk. But it was ab- scary. It was scary. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it was scary. Yeah, no, because I want to hear about that. What that must have felt like. I mean, it must have been terrifying, actually. Yeah, and, and and at first, I you know, I've done a lot. I had done a lot of, like I said, I was a comedian while working at Department of Veterans Affairs. Nobody ever said anything about it. It wasn't a problem. I was doing it at nights and on the weekends, and and so you know, nobody ever came after me for that. But you know, once I started doing this podcast, I started noticing policy changes from uh, the White House, including new Hatch Act uh, policy things where, you know, it used to just be you can't promote or oppose anybody running for office, political office, and you can't run for, for political office or fundraise. But then, you know, Donald Trump injected his name in there, and you can't say anything bad about Donald Trump. <laughs> and uh, I thought, though, that's weird. And so I hired a lawyer to advise me on how to make sure I didn't run afoul of any ethics violations or the Hatch Act. And the, the lawyer said I wasn't and gave me some rules to follow uh, that I had been following and continued to follow. But then, you know, things started to get really weird. Um, <laughs> and then mm. all kind of culminating in, in the fact when I, the day that I learned that uh, the government was investigating my podcast. Yeah, that um, that would give uh, a lot of people more than a little bit of pause. And um, I would imagine that many people would just shut it down. Um, you didn't. You you kept going. Um, and uh, that's incredibly admirable. And um, so I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and what you've built. We'll talk a little bit about MSW Media later. But I also want to get your perspective right now. Um, it's hard not to be thinking about and talking about what's going on in Afghanistan. So I want to switch gears a little bit because as as a veteran uh, yourself and as someone who has worked in healthcare for the military and veterans, I'm I just my heart is breaking for everyone involved and veterans who are watching this all unfold. So um, what are your thoughts on what's happening with Afghanistan right now? Um, it's it's and how are you doing, absolute... first of all, also? Well, I'm 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 doing okay. Um, mostly right now, I'm battling kind of the disinformation blame game that the mainstream media is is playing to 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 an nth degree. Honestly, um, you know the way that I see it is 
we had to get out and it was going to be a mess. And now we have to fix the problem, which is to uh, give, you know, visas, SIV visas, NGOs, get the get the people out, get our allies out and get them safe. Um, that's what we need to focus on. But the, the media t- seems to be putting all the blame on Biden, who who said the buck stops with me, uh, as he should. Uh, but I think everyone's sort of missing the larger context of how this deal was set in motion, why the Afghans, uh, the Afghan government, not the people, mm-hmm. why the Afghan government just laid down arms and gave up, uh, how that was planned, how Trump was involved with that, and why people here stateside aren't angrier with the Afghan government for abandoning their post, abandoning their people and betraying the United States, taking mm. our equipment, taking 20 years, millions of dollars in American lives and just lace, just surrendering after they had promised that they would fight for their people uh, and give us a safe withdrawal. And, and I feel like now President Biden has to walk this thin line and fix this absolute, like you, like you said, tragic mess. The, the pictures coming out of Afghanistan, the videos we see coming out of Afghanistan are terrifying and heartrending. And we absolutely have to to make sure that, that we do the right thing now going, going forward and then find out the answers to why it didn't go as planned um, and, and then answer to that so that we make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Um, as you know, on our show, we're always looking at where we can help, where we can be helpful. Um, and it's really hard to figure that out with this particular situation. But here at home, uh, how can we help support our veterans right now? I mean, we're already in the middle of a, a mental health crisis um, that it's affecting all of us and, and hitting, you know, veterans, you know, maybe the hardest. How can we support them right now? The best, I think the best way to support uh, veterans is to just reach out. I'm sure most people know a veteran or um, know somebody who does. And just to make yourself available to talk. Um, and then also to know what the resources are to give to veterans uh, to so that they have a place to go, whether it be their local veteran offices or their local uh, the the VA that's that's in their area or the VA hotline, or you know just just again to have to have an ear, um, and I think what we can be doing politically uh, is still pushing this administration to offer, especially veterans who who might have been discharged under other than honorable conditions Mm. to ensure that the VA is giving the best and most timely access to quality care that it possibly can. And then on the flip side, to push our representatives in Congress and in the Senate and this administration to cut the red tape on visas for refugees and to raise the cap on refugees. That's what we should be pushing for right now on those two fronts, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that w- that was a huge component of what we're seeing right now, where there was cries to cut the red tape to get just the translators and the uh, allies out. And uh, um, I think, well, it's evident that the administration did not anticipate things would fall apart so quickly. So maybe they thought they had some more time to, to do this. But um, uh, clearly they don't. So, um, so hopefully uh, they're just... Getting everyone out that they can, and um, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like in terms of the asylum seekers and and where they're going to go and and how they're going to be processed. It's is horrific. Yeah, I think I think number one is to get them out of Afghanistan because right. you know the Taliban is coming in like this kinder, gentler Taliban, and when we can't. T- I don't trust anything that they say. 
Um, If we learn any lesson, please let that be the one. Uh, Get them out of harm's way. Then figure out how to bring them to the U.S. or settle them in other uh, allied, NATO allied countries. Uh, And and. To, for it, and I think that this work is where we're going to see the true colors of folks like the Republicans who were very quick to jump on Biden for his decision to pull out uh, the military operation. When there were only 2,500 troops there, and the ceasefire ended May 1st per Trump's agreement with the Taliban. Agreement with the Taliban in capital letters. Yeah. Um, of, without of which, we're, there's been some, re- you know, like redacted, classified communications that we haven't even seen yet. Of course. And and we can look back and figure that out as soon as we get everyone out of harm's way. And, and like you said, cut the red tape. There's a parole option to bring um, asylum seekers and refugees into the country and to work with our NATO allies. This needs to be a whole of NATO and UN project. Do you, do you know what I mean? And that's yeah. that's the humanitarianism that we should be doing. We shouldn't be exerting our humanitarian relief under the guise of military occupation. And it's it's surprising to me, all, all of these folks who seem to think that we've been in Afghanistan this whole time in support of women and children and to nation build and install democracy. That's not why we went and that shouldn't have been why we stayed. But of course, military industrial complex loves it when we do. Yes, very well said. Um, let's switch gears a little bit now and uh, let's talk about MSW Media. The platform that you launched, which How We Win is a proud part of. We're excited about that. Um, What are your plans for this progressive network? Uh, We're just going to expand it. I want to bring in more voices. Um, I mean, you know, our our tagline is news, politics, and justice. And I really want to build on the justice, specifically the social justice element. Mm. And also, we have such a huge audience, combined audience of incredibly active and socially conscious conscious listeners and to to tap into that community to to win elections particularly now we have to face the delta variant we have to face what's happening in afghanistan we have to overcome those hurdles to continue to elect democrats in 2022 or 2024 or, or we're looking at uh at an extremist takeover of our country. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's deadly important. It's extremely important. And so that is that that's the community um, that uh, I, I love and know and am proud to work within. Well, thank you for, for building that community uh, too. And uh, you've been very supportive of swing left over the years and, uh, and you had some fundraisers for the work that we have done to, um, protect our democracy and win these crucial elections. So I'm excited that we get to do that together uh, moving forward. It's um, going to be an, an even bigger megaphone for us to launch more people into action. So thank you for that. Yeah, and thanks for being a part of it. 2022 is going to take a lot of work and a lot of coordination um, at the local and national level. And I think that what Swing Left has done, organizations like Swing Left and and your show have done, have really sort of congealed that, brought it together, given it a, a foundation from which to work from. So we're not all sort of trying to do our own thing and, and kind of in the dark, like feeling our way around. And especially after COVID, and who knows what COVID's going to look like next year or in 2024, um, we now have, because of organizations like Swing Left, an incredible new 
arsenal. I shouldn't say arsenal because I hate that word. <laughs> right. A new, a tool shed of tools. Yes. Um, to use uh, and and even if COVID is at bay and we've conquered it, we sh- we need to be using the the things that we've learned for voter outreach while we were in lockdown because they're such valuable tools. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really changed. We talked about at the beginning about how fundamentally it's about getting people registered, getting them to the polls. And that hasn't changed, but we've learned some really innovative ways to reach voters no matter where you live all across the country. Um, by just writing letters, which has been shown to be really effective. And, and um, so, like you said, regardless of what we see from the pandemic, it's going to be all of these things, the new techniques, the new digital techniques that we've learned about reaching out to voters, texting campaigns, relational organizing, all that good stuff. We're going to do it all. But, it, it you know, that takes a person on the other end writing those letters, sending those texts and uh, knocking on those doors where we can. So, um Uh, Again, thank you for helping us reach more people to do this really crucial work. Yeah, you're welcome. And and thanks again to you for being a part of it, because I think the way that you have put your arms around groups of voters who had been left out before COVID, but because of COVID, we were able to reach is so significant. I mean, we've got uh, disabled people. Uh, you know, I I know several working with veterans, people who are agoraphobic, who just couldn't get out to do this stuff. Mm. And so we we then we have these awesome like Zoom text bank parties. And if they don't feel comfortable on the phone or texting someone, we've got postcards and letters, like just finding new ways to reach voters that have always been left out, I think was probably one of the one of the bright spots of being on lockdown for so long. Yeah, yeah, and I, and um, and reaching the as you say the voters who have been left out the what we used to call low propensity voters, which I like to call high potential voters. Right? Um, you know, it, it's like a uh, a a values based imperative that we reach out to those who um, who are most disenfranchised. But it's also really, really great when that becomes the strategic way that we win moving forward, too, is engaging with those communities, because that's how we build our power as Democrats and progressives. And and, um, so when those two things align, it's really, really great when we can do the right thing. And it also happens to be the strategic thing. That's pretty darn cool. Yeah. And while we collectively push hard for S1, HR1, for the People Act, John Lewis Voting Rights Act, to defeat these voter suppression bills that are coming up across the country, then we also have additional tools to reach out to voters in the scenarios, you know, where we don't, where we aren't able to overcome some of this voter suppression. And, you know, it's not one or the other, right? I don't want people to think, hey, we either have to pass voting rights or... Re, you know, try to overcome obstacles put up by Republicans and voter suppression. We, we need to do both uh, at the same time uh, and, and not give up on one to focus on the other. And I, that's that's going to be kind of, I think, one of the <laughs> the the larger buckets of hard work that, that we have ahead of us is to push push for voting rights and simultaneously try to overcome voter suppression. Uh, and uh, again, a lot of those tools that organizations like Swing Left built during the during the lockdown will help us, I think, with that uh, considerably, particularly registering and getting out the vote and then also uh, helping people sort of navigate 
uh, when they can vote, uh, how they can vote, you know, the different the different methods for which they can vote, which are now being cut in half or right. totally gone sometimes. So the it's a it's a it's kind of a a two front flank operation. <laughs> we have to we have to really push these voting rights bills and really really hammer home to to our representatives that they have to be passed. And meanwhile, do our best to reach out to voters. And, and I mean, Democrats have been overcoming voter suppression for, a, for probably since the beginning of right. Democrats. But yeah, um, the modern Democrats, I should say, and modern progressives. Right. Uh, but we don't want to roll over and say, oh, you know, we'll we'll just do it despite. No, we have to push for that voting rights bill. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of military analogies in there, but that's uh, fair. You know, <laughs> we are in a fight here, and um, and I I believe in us. I what I saw in the presidential election and what we overcame uh, with the pandemic, uh, and uh, and how people stood in lines for hours and hours and hours to show up and vote, and the historic turnout we had. Uh, that gives me hope every day because I, I know what we're capable of and I, I believe we can do it again. We just have to stay focused and stay engaged. Having said that, um, our last question is always the same. And I know you talk about this on your Daily Bean show. Um, what gives you, Allison, the most hope for our future right now? Um, young voters. Uh, I have to say, uh, voters who have just turned 18, uh, you know, under under 25, uh, that are going to be turning 18 in 2022 and 2024, uh, it has stuck with me um, since 2016 when President Obama talked about the the wave of progressive youth that's going to wash across the nation mm. and and take over uh, f- for us um, and. The supporting them, reaching them, and listening to and watching them has been—it's just given me so much hope uh, for for what's to come. I absolutely am in love with this younger generation, all all generations. But man, these kids yeah. are just—they're so fierce, and they just DGAF, and they're like, "We're gonna. This is you know." And mostly, they're the ones who are going to be left with the problems that the older generations have created, they're the ones that are going to be most impacted by climate change and yeah. voter suppression. And I mean, so many, so many things I, I could take forever to list. I don't want to leave anything. I don't want anyone to think that any, any one of those things is more important than the other, but it's, right. it's them, their zeal, their vigor, and their willingness to engage uh, is what gives me hope. I love that. Allison, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, I, I'm excited we get to keep having these conversations going forward, too. So thanks so much for being here right now. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay engaged. How are you staying engaged this year? We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven or send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. And let everyone know you're listening. Share our show on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer while you're there. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and please join us again next Wednesday. See ya.